Hey everyone, Owen Good here, welcoming you back to the Founders Forge podcast. Here on the Founders Forge, we talk to founders from all stages and get to know them, their projects, and the lessons they've been learning along the way. Today we're doing another follow-up episode, where we check back in with the founder after some time has passed to see how things are going. On the docket, Clark Jacobs of Flexdesk. Marcus talked to Clark about a year ago, and you can go listen to that episode beforehand if you want to. It's in the show notes. When last we left Flexdesk, Clark was creating the Airbnb of co-working. But as we'll see, he's been evolving beyond that core offering. Some excellent content here about market research, customer interviews, and of course, pivots. We actually got to record this episode in person with Clark at Capital Factory last month. So if the audio sounds a little bit different than normal, that's why. Alrighty, Clark Jacobs of Flexdesk, let's do it. All right. Well, Clark, great to meet you. Great to have you on the show. Yeah. Oh, and Marcus, thanks for having me. You got it. So it's it's been a minute. Like, uh, what, what have you been up to? Yeah, I'll, I'll admit it was fun listening to our podcast just before I jumped back on to see what it was a year ago. Uh, My three word description a year ago was Airbnb for workspace. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Is that still your, your description at this point? Not even close. Not even close. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Pivots. Pivots are great. Hey, we we like to call it iteration. Iteration. Customer discovery is a beautiful thing. Iteration. That's it. Iteration. Okay. So what happened? What's going on? Yeah. So... Airbnb for workspace really hinges on two beliefs that, frankly, both were uh, invalid. The first Hmm. is that Airbnb unlocks a new type of supply that is different and albeit better than hotels. Okay. So the analogy with workspace is, do people desire something better or different than co-working space? Is there a void in what a WeWork or an industrious can provide today? Um, I discovered the answer was no. People are completely fine with and in fact prefer when leaving the house, if they are a remote employee, to access a space that is custom built, right? For co-working, they've got the amenities, they have the Mm -hmm. community manager, they encounter other people that aren't their coworkers, but kind of start to like feel like their coworkers and fill that void of friendly faces around the office. So that was the first thing that I learned through this discovery process was, okay, if we are going to build a marketplace, we're probably better off. And in fact, we should aggregate existing supply a lot. Let's build a single platform with WeWork, with Industrious, with all of the local coworking spaces easily accessible under one single platform rather than the Airbnb analogy of unlocking a different type of supply. So originally you were talking about, I mean, where is your supply coming from in your original business models? Just people's houses or random desks or yeah, just yes to all the above. Yeah. We were trying hotel rooms. We were trying people's back houses. We were trying, uh, retail, uh, buildings that, yeah. you know, if like a barbershop had gone out of business, well, what if we just literally drop in, you know, a folding table and some chairs oh, and yeah. some, some Wi-Fi and call it a day? Will people yeah. show up to that? And for some reason, you know, looking back on it, it sounds a little silly now, but at the time I, I thought it could actually work. Well, but that's the whole game is like making an assumption about an, an, a hypothesis about something disruptive and then going out and testing it. And I mean, props to you for testing it and just not riding on that assumption. That's what kills businesses. So how did you test that? Like, how did you determine that the answer to that question is no, they're not interested? Yeah, we we found a couple of these 
you what I thought were really cool, unique, different types of inventory beyond a co-working space, and especially focused on conveniently located okay. spaces within suburbs, which one of our theories that that actually was correct is you know the 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 pain of office work isn't the office, it's the commute. And then furthermore, gotcha. it is the autonomy to decide where and when to work. And so if you had an amazing, hmm. if you had access to an amazing workspace that was 75 steps from your bedroom, you're probably going to choose that instead of your bedroom. Yeah. But the reason why people are so focused on remote work, which I'm a incredible believer of yeah is is twofold number one is the commute time and then secondly mm-hmm. is the freedom of choice to decide where and when you want to work and so what we did to harp back now on this airbnb example is we built out a network of i i really thought were pretty cool different creative spaces conveniently located mm-hmm. and then just by happenstance also tossed in a couple co-working spaces on the platform and just watched what happened. Yeah. And people just kept going and booking the co-working space. And I would reach out and say, hey, there's actually this really cool spot yeah. that's a little closer to your house. It's different. Well, why don't you try that? And for any number of reasons, they didn't have any interest in doing the thing that wasn't the existing co-working space. Gotcha. I almost wonder if it's uh, a model kind of to look back at Airbnb the concept that Airbnb is not hostels. Airbnb is individual, you know, space rentals. Maybe there are some hostel Airbnbs. I don't know how well those do, but it seems like the majority of Americans, when they're going to the Airbnb, they're looking for, you know, I am the sole person in this space or family or group or whatever. And that model is very close to what they did know, which was hotels. Right. You know, you have your hotel room, it's yours. Whereas with a co-working space, the kind of the next step, the the single layer of separation away from your company's owned office space is a co-working space, you know, that is a little bit more amorphous, but it's not all the way to this kind of totally different thing of either being in someone else's house or whatever. So there's a, a level of familiarity with the added value. And so it almost seems like maybe the first try was let's try to be Airbnb, but with hostels instead of, you know, you, you get your own space. And and potentially that's also part of that game of understanding the level of comfort that people have. Maybe one day uh, as people really like the co-working model, they'll start saying, hey, what if I post up in someone's house and, and whatnot? But for now, this is kind of what you've landed on. Totally. I, I, I think in... 10 years, the the concept of where we work and, and the office and, you know, remote work and hybrid work and all these buzzword terms that we're throwing around yeah. are going to all converge. Mm-hmm. But until then, I think my biggest takeaway is because the co-working space at large is still so new, you, you need that to mature before you can have a disruptive entrant like the Airbnb said differently, you need the hotel industry to mature and people to at least <laughs> to calcify almost to, to, yeah. to exactly to, to, to just kind of get on board with the idea of staying in a hotel that isn't your own home before you can take that a step further and be mentally 
comfortable with the idea of now not just staying in a hotel that's kind of custom built for that purpose, but also an Airbnb type of supply. And so I'm still very bullish on conceptually all different types of workspaces being activated Mm -hmm. in the next 10 years. But I I do believe for now, well, from what the data we've seen and the customer feedback we've gotten, what people want right now is co-working space. And so therefore, that's at least what we're focused on. Yeah. So let's um, kind of take that and you've got these learnings. Now you're looking at a different model. Exactly. What is this different model? Why? And maybe sounds like you've got certain trends you're looking to that might activate, you know, the, the value and especially the, the return on investment for you, investors, et cetera. Uh, how did you get to that point? Yes. Yeah, so that, that phase one of understanding what the customer wanted, what type of space they wanted was, was a huge pillar and a huge milestone to hit. The second pillar that we then went to seek out was what is the inherent value proposition of a single platform to view and then ultimately book co-working space. And so if we continue harping on this analogy within the hotel industry to which, as we mentioned during our first podcast, I do so much because that is my background. And I think the analogy is directionally relevant is if we use Expedia now as kind of this new analogy, okay, that's yeah. okay. It's not Airbnb yeah. for workspace. It's it's Expedia for workspace. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the difference between Airbnb Expedia and Expedia other than maybe some like, you know, kind of UI and UX mm-hmm. implications? It's just the type of supply, right? Expedia yeah. aggregates hotels, Airbnb aggregates and activates a type of supply that you otherwise couldn't have found in book direct. And I think what's important to call out is the reason Expedia exists and the reason it delivers value to customers is because those customers go through a pretty consistent and regular pain of discovery, right? right. You're generally not going and traveling to the same place when you travel. And so right. you don't have a pre-existing understanding of options within the market. Now, what's different about co-working is most people if we're using the remote worker use case, when they get out of the house, they already know of their options set because they live in that city and they've they've either gone through and found the list of options themselves mm-hmm. or they've already figured out what co-working space they want to go and attend, whether that be become a member and really like kind of engulf yourself in the community or just say, you know what, once or twice a week, I'm going to buy a day pass at some co-working space. And so that was the phase two for us was if, and this is the stat, if 75% of people figure out what co-working space they want to go to, and they just go to that same one, they don't actually desire variety. They don't want to preserve optionality. Well, where does a marketplace model actually make sense from a B2C standpoint and that was learning number two that we had is, you know, my hypothesis was wrong about Airbnb as the analogy. My hypothesis was actually also wrong from a B2C standpoint of Expedia mm-hmm. because there wasn't an inherent value that a marketplace could provide in lieu of going direct if we just focus on the employees themselves. Gotcha. So now you're looking at it and you're saying, 
not only do we need to adjust what the supply is, we also need to look at the customer needs, customer demands, and basically shift your customer. Your customer is no longer really the employee. The employee at their own will is going to go find something. And this is probably the 90% case. They're going to go find something. They're going to like it. They're going to stick around with it. Maybe there are certain people who want to go try out a bunch of stuff. You know, Uber networkers who are not really an employee. They're, you know, an entrepreneur. But for the most part, if they just want a workspace, they're going to find something really comfortable there. And so how are you servicing kind of who your new customer is, which I guess is the business? And what does that look like for pivoting? Obviously, that's a different technology need. That's a different marketing need. Like, it's a totally different business in a sense. And has that been an easy process for you? Was it kind of gut-wrenching initially to say, I'm kind of throwing out the baby yeah. and making a new baby uh, when I get rid of this bathwater? What does that look like? <laughs> um, I, I will admit that going through phase one and going through phase two, as I have kind of described it, it just felt like every day I was waking up and banging my head against the wall. Yeah. And every day, really every night when I went to bed, I knew the next morning I'm going to endure that same torture and it's self-inflicted. <laughs> and I think that really does come down to the crux. And this wasn't directly related to your question, but I think it's worth acknowledging. I think it comes down to the crux of that resilience and also like the inherent passion, dare I say, yeah. that founders have in a problem space. Yeah. And no, my no, no. orientation all along was, I may not know the answer, but I sure as heck know that with COVID and all of the trends happening, there's a really fascinating problem in this space and there is opportunity. And for me, it always was not will I eventually find something that works here, yeah. but it is be patient, continue go through going through that customer discovery process and in due time it will come. And I think largely what drove that inherent belief and desire to just wake up and endure those head pangs every day was just like a, like a larger than self interest in belief and passion in this space at large. Um, and so fortunately, after phase two, what we did end up starting to see is that businesses coming out of the pandemic were encountering this newfound problem that wasn't entirely different than some of the structure and foundation we built, but was a completely different problem and solution altogether which is kind of at this point now where many, many businesses have acknowledged the world's looking different. We cannot mm -hmm. go backwards and sign a 10-year office lease and ask that people move from the cities that they live in to the city that we're in and commute 30 minutes a day, five days a week to access this office space that we've signed a lease on. So what they're beginning to do is to kind of what I say is like whack-a-mole style custom fit every use case and yeah. every need that they have. And so just to play this out as an illustration, what many companies and their real estate structure or remote work structure may look like on any given Tuesday yeah. is this. You may have a hundred employees that are remote, you know, distributed throughout the country or even the world. 
and potentially 50 of them on that Tuesday for any number of reasons, desire to or need to get out of the house. And so the company now is at this point where they're willing to sponsor a co-working budget, not an Airbnb budget, but a co-working yeah. budget yeah. for yeah. learning from phase one. You may have your five executive team members that all live in different cities, get together once a month in person and rent a conference room at a co-working space. And then also you may have a team of five people in Seattle, Washington that need do need to work together fairly frequently for the next several months. And so you may rent a, a team suite within a co-working space. What's fascinating about each of those three examples is none of those are signing office leases. Each of those are accessing what we call flex space or co-working space. Yeah. And so the the phase three for Flexdesk and what we ultimately learned was if we take for granted that companies are not completely shredding their spend on real estate, they're just repurposing it away from office leases into mm-hmm. this flex space category, there's a interesting analogy with the hotel industry, as you can tell I love to do, and yeah. corporate travel. Mm-hmm. And if you think about yeah. what a corporate travel management platform does, for instance, if concur. I'm exactly concur, exactly. BCD travel theme, it, it's really just a, a booking engine yeah. with some kind of enterprise grade solutions built on top. And yep. there's no inherent reason why the employees desire to use the SAP concur booking <laughs> portal instead of the run sources, in fact, some people say SAP concurs. You would much like, rather just they all suck. Yeah. <laughs> they, they'd probably rather use a different platform yep. than SAP concur. But the reason is because the business requires them to do so. Exactly. And it streamlines the business's side of it. It's not optimized for the user. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's while we would like to build a, you know, a front facing site for the user that is optimized for them as well. Really now the reason Flexdesk exists and who it serves is that enterprise at large, right. the admin mm-hmm. person to say, as you have all of these different spend categories across flex spaces, across different vendors, as your needs may be different next Tuesday compared to the following Tuesday, that's a very cumbersome process to manage in a bespoke fashion. And so in short, Flexdesk just centralizes all of those pain points under one platform to streamline the vendor relationship, to streamline the admin component, and then ultimately to deliver our, our clients a single invoice at the end of the month. Wow. That makes that makes a ton of sense. And and the journey to get there, I think, is what gives you the credentials to do it well. Is that you're not just guessing on this. You've spent the time going out and trying these different business models and going out and talking to folks and saying, oh, do they actually, what did, what do people actually want? I think you're very much onto something and how work has changed and where companies want to go with this and where employees want to go with this. I think you're right on the money that that's what we've seen too. In our experience, very similar desires. Have you gotten traction with this side of the business and yeah. you know, the funding side, the people who want to use the platform in this way? What does that look like for you now? From a fundraising perspective, my framework has always been there's two different starting points for when you could go raise. Hmm. The first is if you want to figure out 
what to build. Or the second is after you've figured out what you want to build and you need to figure out how to build it, right? Mm. Said differently, the first is after you've gone through that discovery process with your customer and understand what potential solutions they may want. And the second is now let's go and actually deliver on those solutions that they've told us that they want. And so that was the inflection point come August that we hit is August of 2021 was that first time that we began to see signal for this corporate travel management platform analogy within FlexSpace. And we said, okay, let's go and let's bring on some capital to begin delivering that value. And so alongside that, we brought in a couple companies that agreed to participate in a pilot program and have given us incredible feedback all along the way. Um, And we're now at this, dare I call it, inflection point where we're beginning to bring in larger and larger companies, a thousand person plus companies, and continuing to build that platform alongside it. Um, So it has been a really fun process to transition out of kind of the pure play discovery mode into the, well, now let's go and balance the reality that we do have clients and we do need to deliver the value to them that we say we do, but also like every startup is, we're you know, quite resource constrained. Yeah. What is the 80-20 approach to yeah. getting there? And then also how do we continue to bring in more clients as that product starts to hit a point of scalability where mm-hmm. the inherent time that someone like myself is spending mm-hmm. onboarding and servicing new clients slowly starts to shrink because that's what our platform and our tech capabilities right. can do instead. And so you actually, you have customers, you have traction. Like this is getting validated by sales. We do. And I'll be honest for the Airbnb and for the kind of the phase two Expedia model, we we did have customers as well. And so it, okay. it isn't the first time we've had okay. traction, but it is the first time I've felt like we're really onto something. And the first time our clients have told us, we want more of this and this is solving a, a real pain. And so we do, we've got companies with a thousand plus employees that are on our, on our platform and, you know, we're rounding the corner to the end of the year. And, and that's what we have on the horizon for Q1 is what would it look like to, to make our platform in a way that's modular, what mm. we call a okay, self-serve, yeah. a model that doesn't yeah. require a ton of interference on my part to get things off the ground. Well, yeah, I mean, there's traction and then there's traction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess if every startup has some degree of traction, right? right. Whether they're, you know, interviews from customers or you know, yeah. dollars from customers or so forth. Oh, okay. So you went through Airbnb, you went through XP. What's your What's your description now? Is it concur uh, for your five word description? Just curious, like what you would peg it at at this point. Flex desk streamlines a company's entire flex space footprint. Okay. It's probably six or seven words. It's okay. Most people's are. You're, you're a good company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so yeah, on the horizon, you're looking at scaling. Uh, you've got some investment. What's, what's that process been like? A ton of learnings from every stage of this journey and, and certainly fundraising as well. 
um, it's humbling. You know, I think mm. a lot of first time founders go out and assume that um, they're, you know, what don't stink. And, yeah, and I right. think, you know, it's, it's kind of the ultimate equalizer yeah. um, to go and to, you know, to realize that uh, there's a ton of companies out there pitching similar concepts, pitching very, di- you know, different concepts that are farther along. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my, my main takeaway from fundraising is traction can solve nearly every problem. Wow. Um, and ideas are great, but just as a founder, you have to rely on what your customer tells you in order to have confirmation that you're actually onto something. Go figure. That's how investors look at it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, is you can have a great yep. idea, you can have a great pitch deck, you know, great credentials. Um, but unless you are a you know second time founder with a successful exit or some other data point that makes you an outlier, mm-hmm. not the norm, um, they're going to look at traction. And I think it took me too long hmm. in the fundraise process to recognize that more often than not, my time is just better spent building the business. And if I do that, naturally the investment will come. Interesting. So rather than going after as many like pitch competitions and trying to get appointments with VCs, you found it more effective to just work on customer development and building the business and let them come to you essentially. I It's, it's really, it, it is hard to, to pull off, you know, right. there's not really right. one great way of doing it, but my understanding now leads me to believe that going forward, the way that I will try to fundraise is I will build the business and I will have some structure in place for potential investors to keep tabs of mm-hmm. how the business building is going. How do and you, how do you handle that? Most often through a monthly update form Okay. Um, over email. You know, for certain investors, it does also make potential investors. It does make sense to have some one-on-one cadence scheduled on some regular basis. Um, but beyond that, you just build the business. And yeah. if we can do things the way that I believe we can, my my hope um, is that you know the phone call will come from them. Yeah. Not from a from from us originally to say, okay, we think now is the right time because we've followed a, along over the last six months and the things that we wanted to see de-risked have now been de-risked. And so we're coming to you telling you that it is time as opposed to the other way around. And, and that's how I did it the first time is, you know, I, I was going yeah. to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think it, it starts with going to them. Like, obviously, it's not like someone's, you know, some VC is just going to show up on your front door one day. Um, but what you're saying, it sounds like is after you've made some level of connection, if you can have them follow along and you can have the proof in the pudding, then theoretically, uh, they should be more ready to go in, you know, for future rounds as they see that move forward. Yeah, Exactly. So how big is Flexdesk at this point? I guess, is it still just you or do you have a team? Like you're growing or how's it looking? Yeah. Um, two of us full-time. Okay. And then um, a couple folks that are part-time nights and weekends. Okay. And um, we're trying to stay lean and mean. 
over the next yeah. probably three to six months. Okay. Um, and then kind of the expectation is that we'll uh, bring on some additional team members. Are you still actively, I guess we just talked about this, but are you still actively fundraising or more just open to new opportunities as they come? Uh, we're focused on building the business. Exactly. Yeah, not not actively okay. fundraising. Um, you know, Marcus, as you just alluded to, it you know, it makes sense to have conversations yeah. always, right? It's yes. there's not kind of this this finite point in time um, mm. where you decide to to chat with someone or not. But yeah, we're we're focused on building the business. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So obviously, there's a lot you've learned over the past year. If you had to distill it down into, you know, you get your 30 seconds of time machine access to Clark from a year ago. What are you telling him? Point one would be find ways to accelerate the customer discovery process. Hmm. Point two would be recognize that signal is relative, not absolute. And the way the market exists today may not necessarily be how the market is constructed in six months from now and keep a very hyper intense focus because of that on customer discovery as a, as a forever and always function, yeah. not just as a don't feel like you got one time thing yeah. you did yeah. to go off to the races. Don't ever feel like we've got it. Cause I mean, for instance, look at Airbnb. Yeah. There are, <laughs> Their platform today doesn't look anything like what it was before the pandemic. The people that use it are different. The reasons they use it are different. The types of spaces that they rent on there are different. And if they didn't have that forever mindset of customer discovery, they would not have lasted through the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. It's a fantastic point. Well, hey, Clark, this has been fun. This is cool. I love these follow-ups where we could just like go back and, compare things and ah it's cool i like it usually well, I, there's a pivot involved so that's always good uh, but that's part of entrepreneurship and I yeah exactly see that. and you know i was thinking about it as you were talking earlier and i'd i'd be willing to bet uh that one of the selling points to investors is not just traction in your case obviously traction is very very important but i'll bet you being able to go explain like, hey, I tried this, it didn't work, I failed in this, and so we then tried this and that didn't work, and so we pivoted again. That ability to change and to grow and to learn, I've heard over and over, is so critical for investors. They yeah. want to hear about your failures. They don't want you to be like a wonder kid who has succeeded at everything they've ever done. They want to hear about what went wrong, what did you learn, what did you do differently? Yeah. Investors invest in lines, not dots. Exactly. Mm, there you go. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. Can't Good point. get can't get better than that to end on. So Clark, I look forward to doing this again. Thanks, Clark. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Clark for coming back on the show. Love the conversation and love being able to record in the flesh. That was pretty fun. Thanks again to all our listeners. We appreciate every single one of you guys. If you like the show, let us know by subscribing wherever you listen. And if you really like the show, leave us a review. You can also reach out on Twitter using hashtag FoundersForge, or you can DM me directly at GoodOD. If you're interested in being on the show yourself, check out the show notes for all the relevant info. We're always looking for interesting people and companies to talk to. Big, small, weird, drop us a line. Let's chat. We'll talk to you next week.